0: Amen. What a good prayer as we open scripture uh, to to hear God's word to us. We want to see Christ in it. That's our conviction as believers that uh, Jesus is really the criterion for which we understand scripture and interpret scripture. And when we open it, uh, we hope to see him, whatever we're looking at or reading and and, 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 uh, uh, trying to understand. So uh, we're beginning a new series today. and, and. uh, I've heard someone said that anytime time you preach about struggles, uh, people listen because we relate to struggles. And so we're going to take about six Sundays to talk about struggles because we don't always talk about that. We, we, we're church people. We want, you know, people ask you how you're doing and you always say, oh, I'm doing great because we don't want to say, well, I've got this or that or I'm having a hard time with my family or whatever. Uh, so if, but if anywhere, if there's any place we can talk about struggles, it should be church And we're going to start off light this morning. I don't want to get in too heavy, just too quick. Uh, So we're going to talk about the struggle of church sometimes being boring. And don't point to the preacher when I say that. But that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning. And we're in Acts chapter 20. If you want to turn there, it'll be our text. If I asked for stories from you about... (laughs) So you're looking at me. If I asked for stories about church being boring, I'm sure that that you could share with me times that you've experienced in church that may or may not have been all that fun. I've shared with you before about going to my grandmother's church. Uh, She brought me to the Lutheran church, which was a lot more formal. If you've ever gone to a Lutheran church or a Presbyterian church or one of the more high church traditions, you know, it's it's a lot more formal. They had a big organ. Uh, They had what we call liturgy, you know, and it it seemed to be a lot longer than our services. Terry tells me I preached too long, but man, uh, those services would go, you know, hour and a half sometimes if we if we took communion. And so uh, I remember going through what's called confirmation, and and Lutheran kids go through confirmation. Or at this Lutheran church, we went through confirmation starting in seventh grade, and and basically that's a two year class that you take where you learn all the stuff you're supposed to believe as a good Lutheran boy or girl. And part of your duties when you're going through confirmation is to be an acolyte, and an acolyte would sit on a pew to the side of the altar with the candles. And we have, what are those things called? You light the candles with those big fancy sticks, uh, and we would light those candles during the prelude. The big organ would play the prelude. We'd light them, and then we'd go sit over there. And then during the postlude, we'd get up again and shaped like a bell, a little thing. Then you we. Extinguish them. And that's really all we did. But we sat up in front of the church the whole time and everybody saw us. And uh, I don't know why they decided seventh grade is a great time for confirmation. Because seventh grade boys are not interested in confirmation. They're not interested in lighting candles. Uh, I don't know what they're interested in. Maybe you know, EJ's the youth guy. He could tell you what they really are interested in. But, but I wasn't interested in any of that as a seventh grader. And I remember sitting in that little pew and just nodding off and falling asleep in front of the whole church. And my grandmother would, would just, you know, let me have it after church. You fell asleep in front of the whole church. Well, church is boring, Grandma. I mean, what do you expect? But I'm not the first kid to ever have been bored in church. And I wasn't the last. I guess it's been a month ago. Uh, I was sitting right there. Was, we were having a normal celebration of praise. And we were singing and uh, Glenda Brown was, was standing behind, where well, she's not there right now, but her usual spot behind me with her granddaughter, Kenley. And, and as we're in the middle of singing, I hear, meow, meow. And I tell you, it sounded like a real cat. And hey, we've had dogs out here before. You know, church members have brought dogs. So I just thought, hey, you just never know. You know, maybe Brit brought a cat for some reason. I don't know. And I turn around and look behind me, and I don't see a cat. And so I turn back around, and I start singing. And right right when I'm about to get into my worship place, you know, I meow, meow. And I turn back around, and, and you know, there's Kentley just looking at me with her sweet little eyes. And I thought, surely not. You know, that's not her. It just sounded too real. And so I turn back around, and then finally a third time after I start singing, I hear meow, 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 meow. And the thing that finally gave it away wasn't Kelly, it was Glenda saying, shh, you better stop it right now. And I just had these flashbacks of my grandmother saying, sit still, be quiet in church. And I couldn't help but smile because I've been there. I've fallen asleep in church and I've howled like a dog in church with my grandmother. That's another story. But the time church got interesting, finally started getting interesting for me was, was about the time I was 15. I started uh, sharing with you before going to my, my, my home church where I really professed faith in Christ at. And, and it became interesting because the worship was a little different. A lot of factors went into it. I felt like I could understand worship there a little better. Uh, the preaching was a little more interesting. Uh, and, and it just connected with me. I, I professed faith in Christ. I got involved in a youth group, and before I knew it, like I was just doing everything at church. I was there all the time. Every time the doors were open, I was doing something. I went on mission trips. I went to camps. I helped out around church. I swept the floor, you know, just whatever needed to be done. I just kind of jumped in. And then one Sunday, I remember the pastor's preaching. It's probably preaching about sin because my first pastor liked talking about sin a lot. And, and uh, I remember sitting there about maybe a third way into the sermon and realizing I know exactly what he's going to say. I've heard this sermon before. I mean, not exactly. I mean, it I wasn't the exact same sermon and it wasn't a, a certain... But I could just... I would heard the pre, his preaching enough to know I know where Brother Ed's going with this today. And some of you are saying, yep, Matt, I've got you down too. Eight years, you know, you, you preach the same stuff over and over. That happens, doesn't it? No matter how great of a preacher you have or how great the music is or how wonderful and sweet and encouraging the church might be that you're at or or how, how much they're doing all the stuff Jesus said that a church should do, at some point, church gets boring sometimes. It just happens. In our church, we have kind of what I call seasons I think all churches have seasons of activity and and this just happens to be during the fall one of our active busy times we celebrate the anniversary we have fall stuff going on you know before we know it, Christmas will be here there's just a lot of things going on and and pastors like it when there's stuff going on at church because it usually means there's more people in the building and it just seems like things are going well when there's more people at church it's a busy time of the year it's an important time of the year But then there are seasons in church life, and every pastor will tell you, it's the dreaded summer slump. You know, when families are out, families, because because of kids being out of school, not not only may they be on vacation, a lot of families end up going on vacations, but but also people just get out of the routine during the summer, don't they? And and sometimes church is one of those things that suffers because kids get used to sleeping in, and uh, they they get out of the routine in the summer and get back in in the normal course of the year. That's just kind of part of it. And and we don't like that part as much as pastors. And if someone came to our church maybe in a certain time during the summer when it was low in attendance, maybe maybe EJ and myself or, or Alice or Terry might be out as well, and you look around and you say, Well, the workers are gone, the people are gone. This isn't a very exciting church. It's kind of boring. But it's just part of the regular season of church life. We have up and down years in church life. 2000. I don't know, I'm sure no one else keeps track really except us in the office. But uh, last year, 2017, we baptized over 10 people. I mean, that's a lot for a church our size. That's a lot of people. This year, we baptized three. We have up and up and down seasons. Sometimes we have seasons where we build new things. We we renovate rooms. We build kitchens and redo parking lots. And then we have years where we don't do anything like that. That's just the normal season of church sometimes. And eventually, no matter how exciting or what's going on or what's not going on in church, even for the big churches that, that try and have something big every Sunday. I had a friend that was a pastor at a really big church, and he said, you know, one of our philosophies is to always keep something in front of the people, always keep things going. And, and, and finally, he burned out at that church. It was in Conroe. It was a huge non-denominational church. And he said, I just felt like every Sunday I had to outdo the previous one. And, and that's why he ultimately left things will eventually get boring sometimes. That's his life. Life is like that sometimes. And so the thing I want you to think about this morning is even church, is church supposed to be entertaining all the time? Should church not be boring sometimes? What about the time in the Old Testament? There's there's at least three times that I know of where, where the people are called together and the whole law of Moses is read. And that would have taken... Hours, Folks, can you imagine sitting there and listening to somebody reading something for hours? My goodness. We think, yeah, that's the Old Testament. What about the Sermon on the Mount? Have you ever read the Sermon on the Mount the book of Matthew? I mean, Jesus doesn't throw in a whole bunch of lively illustrations, you know. Love your neighbor. Pray for those who pray for your enemy. Oh, let me tell you about this funny story. No, he doesn't do that. He He just lets you have it. I don't think it's too far-fetched to think that maybe if the disciples struggled to pray in the garden, that, that one of them wasn't nodding off during the Sermon on the Mount. But here's what we do know. We do know that in the New Testament, there, there's a time when, when Paul is preaching, and this guy falls asleep. His name is Eutychus. He's in Acts chapter 20. And, and I will say that it's kind of understandable because they're meeting at night. They're meeting in the evening. They, they just had a meal. Incidentally, that's why I'm preaching to you before the meal, because if I wait until afterwards... You'd all be Eutychus. You'd be falling asleep. But, but, it's, but it's Paul, you know? Like, some of us would just love to meet that guy and hear all his stories. But it wasn't lively enough for Eutychus. Of course, Paul preached for several hours. That's what we're going to look at this morning in Acts chapter 20. I'm going to begin in verse 7. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day... Kept on talking until midnight. I'm not getting any ideas, don't worry. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man, and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said, he's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. After talking until daylight, he left. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. What a story. I mean, some, of you, some of you hadn't heard that story. You're looking at me. That's pretty bizarre. What, what, a, what a unique story to be in the Bible. And I think it'd be easy to hold Eunicus up as the negative example and say, hey, don't be like that guy. You fall asleep, you're going to die in church. That's not where I'm going, Okay. Really, I think the example lies with Eutychus' church. You have these people in Troas and and, and they're they're meeting, they're, they're just doing what Christians do. They're having this meeting that they've become accustomed to having. They're trying to be open to God in their midst. And even with the great Apostle Paul, he's coming. And they don't really change what they do. They just have this meeting that they planned on having. And I think that they are a model for us Of of what to do Whether church is exciting or boring We commit Encountering God Through routine That's what they do And that's that's really the point Whether church is boring or church is alive We commit to meeting God To encountering God Through routine Not routine just sounds like a boring word I know but but that's what's happening In the midst when they encounter God In in this amazing way Now Paul never been to Troas He'd never gone to this place. In fact, he may not have even had any contacts there. But, but here is this group of Christians. In Acts chapter 19 and 20, they tell us that Paul and his helpers kind of just end up there on just kind of on a whim. Uh, when, when you read Luke wrote the book of Acts and you read his writings and, and this portion in the, in the book of Acts almost just sounds like a travel journal. We, we went here and did this. We went here and did that. And, and he doesn't give a lot of reason. It's just, he's just kind of saying, this is what we did on, on Paul's missionary journeys." It's Paul and, and his company, and, and Luke is with them. And uh, the main reason they end up in Troas is because they end, up, they end up facing some hostility as they're sharing the gospel. And so there's part of their group that's already there, and then another part of their group ends up there later, and they're just trying to sort of regroup. And then in the midst of that, in, this, in the midst of them getting regrouped and finding this spot... We read in verse 7, this, this is amazing, we read in verse 7, this is the earliest evidence we have that Christians met together regularly on the first day of the week. It just simply says, on the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking all the way until midnight. Now it seems like, a, you know, not a big deal, but it's, it's pretty cool to think about that we do what we do as Christians all these years later, because of what this earliest group did. And here's this group that up until this point in the Bible, nobody even knows who they are. Just this anonymous group of Christians. They're meeting together. They're worshiping. They're having the Lord's Supper. And they have no idea what's about to happen in their midst. Does that ever happen to you? You just go to church and it's just another normal Sunday. In fact, you may not even be all that engaged with what's going on. but But you're just kind of there. You know, you're 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 thinking about all the other stuff you got to get done before the week starts, and then something happens, whether it's the sermon or whether it's a song or whether it's just something a friend says to you, and and you just encounter God. Ever happened to you? That's that's what happened to these folks, and it's not because you know when that happens, it's not necessarily because you do something different or you go to a different church or you think about something different. You're just you're, you're caught up in this really holy routine that you've been doing, some of you, for, for years and years and years. For longer than, than I've been alive, maybe. And God speaks to you. God. You encounter God in that way. Oh, and, and since Paul is here, they say, since he's here, let's let him speak. You know, here's this guy who's been doing all this mission work, and, you know, let's, let's let him speak at our meeting. And everybody's happy with that except Eutychus, Right? And well, what do we take from Eutychus? I mean, if he's not the negative example, I mean, I think what we can see in him is when we're encountering God, when we commit to encountering God through routine, we also have to be aware of our own needs and our own feelings. I do find it interesting. Eutychus is never scolded, you know? Don't don't you think that if this was something that, that Luke was was really setting up as a negative example, he might say... Now, don't be like Eutychus, lest the Lord zap you, just like happened to him, right? Now, on the other hand, I also don't think this is not an excuse, Larry. Not, I'm not saying the pastor is not saying it's okay to sleep during the sermon. That's not where we're headed. My point is, it would have been understandable for this guy to be tired. It's evening time, they've, they've probably had a meal. They probably worked. It's not the Sabbath. So they probably worked during the day. He's probably tired. We don't know how hard he worked and what he did. Maybe he had low blood sugar. We, we don't really even know. I don't think his biggest mistake was falling asleep. As much as it was not being aware, hey, I'm worn out. And maybe I shouldn't sit up there by that window in the balcony. It's probably a dumb idea. That was his biggest mistake. And so we we try to be aware of our needs and what we're feeling as we're seeking God through routine because we have to caution against allowing our feelings, allowing allowing what we're going on inside here that may not be connected to anything else that God's doing. We have to caution against allowing our feelings and our emotions and even our needs sometimes to block us from how God might be wanting to encounter us, speak to us. We excuse a lot of stuff based on feelings. You know, when, when my kids are, when we're out in public and my kids act up and it's been a long day. Yesterday, we took a, a full day Saturday. We went to Waco. We went to the mall. You know, Luke didn't get a nap. And so when, when you do that kind of stuff and you're gone all day and your, your kids act up, uh, you, you fuss at them. But you take it just a little bit easier on them. And then if there's another adult, adult that's watching, you don't want to look like a bad parent, you kind of justify it. You know, you say, well, they're tired, you know. Done, you don't want to look like the parent is not disciplining well, so you say, well, oh. well, they're tired. You just want, you want them to know, hey, I'm a good parent. I discipline my kid, but, but they're tired. And we kind of excuse that because we know the kids, uh, the, the, the younger you are, the less in control of your emotions and feelings you're supposed to be. And, and I think, though, once we grow up, we, we, we should be more aware of that. And I think if there's any church or any group that, that maybe could have been excused from having church... In this moment, when, when, when Eutychus falls to the ground and he dies, it, it could have been this group. But it didn't matter that Eutychus was sleeping. It didn't matter that he fell to the ground and, and he died. It didn't matter that you know, it was late at night and Paul had already been speaking a couple hours. Paul goes down, he heals them, they go back up. They have a midnight snack and Paul says, Hey, I've got more to talk about. And then it's all over. And, and we read this phrase in verse 12. It says, They were greatly comforted. And literally, you could translate into that into they were comforted, not a little. You ever, you ever said to someone, maybe you're sitting at a restaurant and you, and, and you said, man, I was more than a little ticked off when the waiter brought me the wrong food for the third time in a row. We, we use that phrase to, to say it was, it, was not, it, was, it was a whole bunch. I mean, it's to, to demonstrate this extreme feeling. I had this extreme feeling of comfort that could have only come from an account an encounter with God Can you imagine If, if Eutychus would have known What was going to happen I mean I doubt he would have gone to church that day Can you imagine if the church would have known What was going to happen I doubt they would have asked Paul to speak They would have probably said well, We're going to let our usual guy stand up and, and share God's word with us But there they were Simply going through this routine That if they were honest It may have been kind of a boring routine to them Maybe a routine that they weren't always Looking forward to but it was a routine that they committed themselves to as, as a group, as, as a group of believers. And God meets them, and they encounter God in a way that they'll never forget in the midst of that. So some of you get bored with routine. You struggle to pay attention, to sit still, to get something out of, out of whatever you're going through that you've been going through and been doing. And when you think about it, everything that we do is centered around some kind of routine, isn't it? When Michelle and I first got married, we, we thought. That when we would take trips together, we had to do something big and different every time. You know, we have gone go through that phase, you know, whether it was going to a theme park or, you know, we I walked, hiked Enchanted Rock one time. And, and I feel like we have to do these thrilling things, you know. Well, then several years later, we, we came to this conclusion that really, when we go on trips together, we're not necessarily wanting to do anything different than what we normally do or like to do when we get a chance, which is nothing. <laughs> we like to relax. Sit around, read, drink good coffee, and the only difference is, on a trip, we like to do it in nice scenery. That's the only difference. And that's kind of what we do every time we get a chance to go somewhere and do something like that. Some of you are saying, well, that's boring, that's routine. Well, how many times have some of y'all been to Branson? And you keep going back, and you keep going back. What does it get boring? Well, no. You've been there. It's, it's this sweet spot for you. And you have this expectation when you go that you're going to have some kind of encounter there. That you're going to experience something that you enjoy, that you like. The same thing is true with these routines that we try and set aside for God. That that we have this expectation that this is this is something special. And sometimes it is just routine. I mean, it is. John John Ortberg, excuse me, talks about how uh, spiritually when we have we create habits. To make our life easier. And that's true with spiritual habits as well. When you think about the habits that you have. Whether that's making coffee at a certain time. Or laying your clothes out at a certain time. Or or whatever it might be. You do these things so that you don't have to think about things later. Right? And that's really how prayer and and reading scripture and attending church is, is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be this thing that, man, this is a lot of work. It's supposed to be these things that become so ingrained in our life. That they allow us to, to encounter God in, in a way that we don't have to. It's just part. It's just part of the routine. It, it just happens. And, and quite honestly, sometimes, sometimes these spiritual habits, whether it's going to church or praying or having a quiet time with your family. Sometimes it's going to be like when you're driving in your car. And you know you've been driving for a long time. Maybe you have a long commute. You drive 30 minutes and it seems like two minutes. And you think, oh my gosh, I don't remember stopping at that red light back there. But you did. You know, you just kind of did it. That's, that's how it is sometimes. And you're going to think, well, what did I even get out of that? Well, if you drive home, you got home safely. <laughs> and, and sometimes spiritual habits are going to be the same way. And you think, well, I don't know what I got out of it." But then there's going to be other times where God really shows up, where you really encounter God. And it happens because you're faithful to it. It happens because it's become this faithful, spiritual, holy habit in your life. In his book, there's a book, Hooked, How to Build Habit-Forming Products. And, and the author is uh, a person that, that creates apps, you know, apps on your phone. And, and he has this amazing description about what they, they try to do, what their goal is in creating an app. an app. He says, A successful app creates a persistent routine, a behavioral loop. The app triggers a need, and provides the momentary solution to it. He says, feelings of boredom, loneliness, frustration, confusion, and indecisiveness often instigate a slight pain or irritation and prompt an almost instantaneous and often mindless action to quell the negative sensation. He says, gradually these bonds cement into a habit as a user turns to your product when experiencing certain internal triggers. That's their agenda. I mean, it's no, it's no joke that some of you are, are you know, addicted to some of those apps, and our youth get addicted to games like, oh, what was the game you were talking about with William the other day? I don't remember what it was, the, the popular one. They get addicted to it because it's designed to do that. And I don't think we can avoid, he talks about those triggers that, that, that kind of evoke that emotion in us. Yes, we can't. We can't avoid certain triggers that, that make us want to do something. But we can train ourselves to respond a certain way to triggers in our lives. So what if we made prayer our first response to boredom instead of taking out our phone and getting it on Facebook? Or what if we didn't try to, to numb the loneliness or the sadness with, this is another TV show. but we relied on our Bible study group to, to say, hey, I need some encouragement. I need you to, to, to lift me up in prayer. What if church wasn't just something we did because, well, we have some extra time during the week or uh, we, we got all our other stuff done? It was just something that that we did. How might we encounter God if we place spiritual routines above those that are designed to hook us in and make us addicted to them? So the truth is church was never intended to be entertainment. And I know that we live in a technological age and and, and some of your minds are already starting to wonder because because we don't have an attention span anymore. And church isn't necessarily fun all the time. But uh, there are some churches that try to acquiesce to that. They say, well, no one has, you know, everyone's, we've got to always provide fun stuff. But I also think if if you learn to just be persistent in the routines that, that, that you have, to be faithful, to be obedient, whether it's fun or not, you might find yourself as an adult, as a grandparent, with grandchildren that lead worship in your church. You might find yourself in a church with, with children that serve and do things and, and, and aren't always asking, well, when's church going to be over? Because it's become, part, it's become part of their routine as well. You might have faith that is sure, even if your mind is not sometimes. And I know that statistically speaking, going to church one day is not necessarily going to make your next day great. Statistically, it, just, it may not. And having a Bible study with your family and a prayer time, that's not necessarily going to make your kids obedient. These things form habits, and they form routines, and they create responses from us that shape us over time into people that look more like Jesus. So this morning as we get to the end of this and, and, and think about church, the question is not what do you do when church is boring. The question really is how do you arrange your routine?" So that you can be more open to encountering God. Whether church is boring or fun or whatever. Pray help us to do that. Pray with me. God we all have seasons in our lives. And sometimes those seasons affect how we interpret church. And experience church. Our age affects that. Our health affects that. Our emotions affect that. And so, God, I, I don't pray that you would take away all the things, but because sometimes that's just, it's just not realistic to think that we'll never be bored or we'll never, uh, we'll, we'll never not have emotions that want to divide our attention. But, God, we do pray that in the midst of all that we have going on, that you would help us to have holy habits. You would help us to be motivated to ingrain in ourselves as a church things that, that point us to you regularly. And God, in those moments where some, some of that just seems like autopilot, I pray you'd be working in our hearts and in our souls in ways that, that maybe we won't even understand until years later. I hope that to be part of who we are as a people, as your church. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.